Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brett Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I am Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here today with the Smart Investing Show. Uh, we are, again, uh, the proud investing partners of the San Diego Padres. And I do have to say that uh, last uh, week I threw the first pitch and I was happy I made it to the first to the home plate. Did not bounce the ball. I was happy. You did. You did. did a good job. <laughs> I, I think it was high into the right, but hey. You know, it was it, catchable. It didn't look bad. Didn't look bad. Yeah, especially for a guy my age. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and you told me about who was it? Uh, I think it was Fifty Cent had a he had a bad pitch. Bad pitch. Yeah. So I I, I was part of that. So people asking, how do you do? Yeah. I I I give myself a grade letter B. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd agree with that. Right. Yeah. So, all right, uh, lots to talk about today on the investment side. We're going to uh, run over the uh, CPI and the PPI, which is Consumer Price Index, and also the Producer Price Index. Very important to look at those. We will be discussing regional banks. They're still in the news. Consumer credit is something that we want to go over because we feel <clears throat> the media really hypes us up and gets it wrong. So we want to, as investors, set you straight on what's really going on with consumer credit. We have other things that we may talk about as well, which is the uh, ETFs, the water shortage here in California, which is really going to affect business, tech companies, <clears throat> Peloton, Beyond Meat, many different things to talk about. But uh, other things we do for you is? Well, as always, you know, you want to join the show, you got a stock you're looking at, a company we call them an equity you can give us a call here, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Oh, he's got a mouthful of water there. I wasn't ready for that. I was looking down, and I looked back up, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to go longer. Like, wait, wait, I'm still thinking of drink care. Um, you know, I guess uh, before we get started, too, I was just thinking we, we didn't put this in here, but I still think it's so important. We've talked about the last few weeks, but that this whole debt ceiling kind of crisis as yes. well. And I say crisis. I, I still we've talked about how we think we're going to get through it. And it's interesting. I actually saw the the CBO came out yesterday. Didn't you talk about it on Fox Five this past Wednesday? I did talk about it okay. this past Wednesday. <clears throat> and then there was new news that came out after my segment because right now Janet Yellen had said that their their X date is June first. Right. And the CBO came out and said if they could somehow get through to like the middle of June, there's a lot of corporate tax payments that'll come in. And then that would actually extend it through July. Mm. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of kind of interesting moving parts here. Obviously, we need to get this resolved at some point. And the big thing that I want to continue to harp on is and there's going to be volatility around this. Oh, and yeah. I, Jamie Dimon talked about it the other day as well that, yeah, I mean, the stocks are, I think, going to overreact to this right. situation as as they generally always do. Right. And, and, and what happens is everybody, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people know it's going to be resolved. Yeah. But there's people out there that are traders that are actually trying to take advantage of it and try to sell and buy and sell and buy. Uh, the high-frequency traders going in and out. So you've got to ignore that volatility. It's probably going to be on the downside. Yeah. But if you're an investor like we are, just realize it's going to go down, but it's going to come back up. And we always talk about do not time the market. We've given so many good reasons. Like, again, you missed the 10 best days over the last 15 years. Your return is cut in half. So don't think you're going to know when to get in, when to get out, because you don't. 
And uh, that's why so many people, I talked to a good friend of mine who's made a lot of money in real estate. He goes, ah, oh, the, the market's so risky. I go, the market's not risky. People make it risky by doing silly things. And people have done well in real estate. Why? Because they don't try to trade it on a daily <laughs> basis. They buy it and they hold it for years. Yeah. Same thing with equities if you buy the right right investments. Right and companies. I, I do think as well, I brought up the point about, again, not trying to time it because I think people may hear us and be like, what? They said there's going to be volatility. Maybe I'll just I'll hang out until right. you know it's kind of resolved. And, and the big problem is, you know, I think it could head lower, obviously. But I, I we say this more to prepare you emotionally right. for what could happen rather than to try and time it. Because what could happen is, let's say next weekend, maybe on next Friday, they come out and the debt ceiling is resolved. I'm not saying this is going to happen. Right. But let's say that does occur. Well, now what do you do? I, yeah. I, the stock market now <laughs> doesn't have that as a fear anymore, and you don't know when they're going to resolve it. We think, again, it's going to brush up against the deadline because mm-hmm. of the negotiations, but they very well could negotiate and all of a sudden come to an agreement. That could happen, and then you're screwed. And that's why you can't do a short-term type deal, especially around this debt ceiling situation. Right. Exactly. Well, let's talk about the uh, CPI because a headline CPA, uh, CPI of 4.9% came in below expectations of 5%. I think we talked in the past about we would see a number beginning in fours. We have crossed below the 5% for inflation. And it did register the slowest growth since uh, April 2021. It also marked the 10th consecutive month of slower growth since the report peaked in June of 2022 at 9%. Now, areas that continue to see growth were food prices up 7.7%. Motor vehicle insurance, this one kind of surprised me, up 15.5%. Transportation services up 11%, admissions, which includes concerts, movies, and theaters up 6.9%, and even electricity was up 8.4%. There continues to be more components that are registering declines compared to last year. Energy was a big one as it was down 5.1% as gas and oil prices fell from the high prices from last year. And looking at gasoline in particular, it was actually down 12.2% compared to last year. So that was a big positive there. And I was going to say just real quick, going back to the motor vehicle insurance, is I'm not that surprised to see it because we know we do have a property and casualty insurer in the yep. portfolio that it takes time. You can't just raise prices. You have to submit the bids to the state to get approval to then raise the prices. Yep. So they're a little bit behind the eight ball of actually recouping a lot of the inflation. So I think you could see continued inflation in motor vehicle insurance. And as I was saying that too, I was thinking that maybe I'm not really that surprised because of the fact that actually we know that there's higher cost of materials, higher cost of labor. So this is all things that I, I remember reading that with the accidents, they're a lot more expensive. Yep. So therefore insurance companies pay more, therefore they do have to raise a premium. So maybe I'm not so surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but on top of gasoline, other areas that did see declines included major appliances, again, down 10.4%. Used cars and trucks down 6.6%. And this one, this one was the surprise to me. <laughs> Airfares down 0.9%. You know, I, I know a lot of people are spending on services and traveling. I mean, obviously it wasn't a major decline, but I know for months it was like up 20 percent 19 percent i mean we've seen a lot of growth in those airfare prices now the core cpi which excludes food and energy did come in higher than the headline number at five and a half percent but over 60 percent of that increase came from shelter costs which grew 8.1 percent compared to last year now if those shelter costs were removed from the report the core cpi would have grown at just 3.7 percent Overall, I continue to see inflation heading in the right direction as those costs continue to decelerate. Again, not decline, decelerate. decelerate. 
Right. And and actually, we have talked before about the shelter costs, how they kind of lag because of renewing uh, contracts or rental agreements, lease agreements and so forth. So they lag. Uh, I think this will be a problem for probably another, I'll say another six months or so. Mm-hmm. But then you have every month there's new contracts that renew that will bring that, that down, that shelter cost down. Yeah, and I, I still think that by the last quarter of this year, you'll see those shelter costs not be nearly as problematic. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think barring anything crazy in the energy market, I still think energy, it's, it's funny when people don't talk about energy inflation, oh, it's volatile. Well, but again, it's kind of a, I'm going to say almost like a, a big expense for a lot of businesses. So then they got to pass on that cost as long as energy maintains itself. And again, it doesn't really have to fall anymore as long as it stays stable, doesn't spike up. Right. You have shelter not being a problem. I mean, I, I just don't see what's going to spike in the CPI enough to really have us go back above 5% on inflation. Yeah. And this is so important because we still believe that the Fed is is done. I, I heard some Fed bankers, uh, well, maybe we need one more and so forth. But I, I think, I believe we get one more inflation report again before they meet. I could be wrong on that. But I think there's two inflation reports during this this period, we'll call it. I know we'll get the PCE before they meet. Right, right. So so this is important stuff. And also the labor, labor numbers that we talk, talked about mm-hmm. last week. So um, it, it's important because... I believe that we're, we've done raising rates. Yeah, I, not, and they're not going to be cut. No, no, and they better. I don't think they should cut them. No, so I, I think we we continue out this year as we have, let the economy kind of go along at a re- decent pace, uh, keep the job numbers where they're at, people getting jobs. That was a good report last week. Uh, we we can beat the inflation, but they got to be patient. And I think we can do it without you know costing millions of jobs and putting people out out. Uh, out of work. Yep. So, well, let's talk about the PPI, which is the producer price index. Uh, as, as it came in with a just a two point three percent increase in April, this was the lowest reading since January two thousand twenty one, and it was well off the high. Wow, off the high. Let me say it again: of eleven point three percent in June of twenty twenty two. Wow. And, and looking at this again, it's so important because if businesses are not seeing costs increase as much. They should not need to increase prices as much for consumers to offset the cost. And I kind of talked about this already, but I really do believe inflation will not be a problem as we exit 2023 and head into 2024. Again, 2.3%. That's right near the Fed's target, again, of 2%. And if we're not having these higher costs on businesses, if demand's slowing down in particular areas, they can't keep raising costs. Their margins probably can maintain themselves now because costs aren't increasing. I mean, there's just no reason to see huge inflation any longer. And the demand is there. You do have the uh, supply is there and the competition. And that's why I think producer price indexes are staying low because they don't want to raise prices because they don't want to lose business to the competitors. So that's the the capitalist society working of, you know, you want to stay in business, you get your lower prices. You have to do what you have to do to get the lower prices to stay in business, and the consumer benefits from that. Exactly, and I talked about this already, but again, a big benefactor from that PPI was energy. Yep. And I just, I gotta say, it's just so silly when people ignore the energy costs. Right. Because I understand that they can kind of inflate numbers because they can pop up and down, but it's such a big expense. I mean, you look at running your, your factory, running your, your office building, whatever you're at, whether it's electricity or gasoline or transportation for diesel, I mean, 
energy is baked in everywhere. And that's right. a huge expense for so many companies and so many people even for that right. matter. That you got to look at that. And I think it was in the newsletter. I don't think we talked about it on air last week, but uh, we did uh, write about it in the newsletter about how diesel costs, I think they've been cut in half. Yeah, uh, they've fallen quite dramatically. Quite dramatically, which, again, benefits so much in the uh, producer side because they transport all these goods, whether it's by train, air, sea, uh, truck. I mean, all the stuff, transportation was a big part you know, for them. So that that's really helped a lot. And I don't see why that would turn around at this point in time. I, I think we're okay. I, I will say, I, I think we said in the newsletter as well, I wish the government would start buying back some oil. Uh, for the strategic reserves when it falls below 70. I, I think they said either next month or July is when they're going to start it. Really? Well, hopefully it stays low. I, I, I just don't know why they don't start it now. <laughs> Man, they got too many other things to do. with. The government moves slowly. Yes. <laughs> but at least they're moving, so I'll, I'll give them credit for that. <laughs> Let's talk about regional banks because regional banks have really caused a lot of concern in the markets lately. Uh, unfortunately, short sellers have stepped in and are magnifying movements of stock prices beyond belief. But if an investor looks at where some of these regional banks are trading, like Western Alliance at 2.3 times forward earnings or Co-America at 3.9 times forward earnings, it would appear that the worst is probably over. For the big banks, they have been beaten up somewhat as well, and they are currently trading at 1.2 to 1.3 times tangible book value. And also, too, if you, you actually back out the non-cash impact from potential bond portfolio losses, the price of tangible book value trades closer to 1. The normal for big banks is more around 2 times tangible book value. Now, for an investor looking down the road 2 or 3 years, I think it is a good time to add some good bank positions to the portfolio after some strong research. I would also caution investors to be prepared for a bumpy ride for the next few months. But if you wait and by the time everything looks good, again, you'll miss the opportunity. You have to look at, well, could this stock go lower? Absolutely. Right. But two to three years from now, I think right now you're getting some great deals on financial companies. Yeah, and, and, and you don't want to buy them with like, oh, I'm going to buy and that goes up because you could buy it go down. I, I we Our portfolio is heavy into financials. And also real estate, mm-hmm. uh, which has not done well over the last, uh, we'll say, month or two since the regional bank thing started. Well, yesterday was down even more, uh, and and I looked at some of the big banks like, why are they down? You know, I mean, they've got some great earnings and so forth, but it's just this is the market. This is what people have to understand. The market is a crazy place on the short term. Don't pay attention to it. I mean, we look at it because what we're very excited about now is that we have buys. Back in the beginning of the year, like, gosh, we couldn't buy anything because everything was expensive. So now we're happy again. We can buy. And I know, and I I keep saying this, I believe by December 31st, we're going to have a very good year this year. But you need to step in and start buying now. (laughs) Very important to buy the right things uh, because I think there's some things now that are doing very well that by the end of the year won't be doing so well. Yeah, and and on the financial side of the, the business as well is when you, when you look at these companies and you have to understand the accounting of these banks is, I mean, you talked about the bond portfolio losses and this was what was such a big issue for Silicon Valley Bank was they then had to sell off bonds right. that were trading underwater. That's when it actually hits earnings. Now, these banks, I'm going to use like JP Morgan, Bank of America, maybe like a Wells Fargo, I don't think they're going to have a run on deposits. No. So these Bonds that they have in their portfolio that are costing them on the balance sheet and hurting that tangible book value, well, 
they will come back over time and right. they'll mature and you know they might have bonds that are dated out five to ten years yeah that was a mistake to maybe buy it that many longer dated securities because now you're not going to make as much money as you could have but now it's reflected so much that you lost money like, you haven't really lost money on the bonds unless you sell them there. right so that's a big big understanding you have to have when you're buying these financial companies is understanding that and also too there's two different ways they can account for it now it's available for sale or held to maturity Sometimes they'll have the held in maturity where that won't affect it, but the available for sale can. So there's a lot of terminology with these financial companies that you have to kind of dive down deeper into. And I'm very comfortable with the banks that we own. I have no concern whatsoever right. in our financial businesses. And yeah, it sucks that they're down a little bit. Would I love if we had some AI companies and benefited from that? Yeah, it would have <laughs> been nice. But the thing is, the financial businesses, I think, will kind of reverse course and by the end of the year i think they could be doing very very well very well and and the other thing too that i was looking at is that with uh jamie diamond uh brian Man- Monahan from uh b of a I-, I believe they're much smarter than the gentleman that ran silicon valley bank yeah. i mean he w- he was really a kind of like a go-go party guy i guess and i mean they, they said it was like more like a hedge fund where they had the meetings and everything um he was really trying to hype things jamie diamond uh, brian Monahan. Uh, I'm trying to think of the guy from Wells Fargo, Sharp. Uh, Charlie Sharp. Charlie Sharp. Um, you know, these guys, they've been in banking for a long time, but they're taking the hits, but yet their business is doing very well. And this is a time you want to be looking at. And you're not going to make 50% on your money. I mean, we always say, gosh, if we make 10, 15% on the average per year, wow, we're, we're, we're thrilled with that. You know, that that's good money. And, you know, I, I think I know why the banks were hit this week is because the FDIC did come out and say to pay for the Silicon Valley Bank. They may implement, and they haven't finalized it yet, but may implement a charge on the big banks, which could cost, I think it was like $15 billion. Gosh. So it, it's, but it's, it's again, it's a, a short-term thing. Five years from now, it won't be impactful. Right. But, you know, next year, there may be some short-term costs that the big banks have to pay for. Right. And it's kind of a shame because uh, J.P. Morgan stepped in about what, First Republic. First Republic. So now they got to pay on top of that. They, they and again, I think it's a good deal they got. But well, now, yeah, yeah they're, they're trying to help out, and they got screwed. The same thing in two thousand eight. I think they bought uh, Washington Mutual. They bought them, helped out, and it was years later they got penalized because of something that Washington Mutual did prior to mm-hmm. that. I mean, the government has to say that they asked for the help. But then, like, okay, well, now we're going to penalize you, or now we're going to charge you more money. Like, come on, government, you know, you know, they're helping you out, but and, and this whole thing of big bad businesses, who does everybody turn to when they need something? The big Business. bad businesses. Yeah. So. And one other thing too, I wanted to say was the the short seller side of the equation is, you know, I am totally for free markets essentially. Right. Well, within that, there needs to be some some reason, and I normally wouldn't be for this. But I know Jamie Dimon talked about banning short selling on on regional banks. Mm -hmm. And I kind of agree with that because if you look at First Republic, if you look at PacWest and Western Alliance, if they fail, it's not because necessarily they were bad banks. Like First Republic had some great assets. I think that's why J.P. Morgan got a steal when they bought First Republic. The reason First Republic failed was, I believe, because the stock price crashed, the bank people that were having their deposits there saw the stock price crashing like i need to get out of first republic so the stock price crashing i think led to their ultimate failure not the business having issues right it was the fact that people panicked during these short sellers attacking these regional banks and it caused a lot of chaos and 
the same thing happens with PacWest and Western Alliance, it, it it's going to cost the system even more money. And I I think it, it's something that should be explored. Problem is, as you said, the government moves slow. <laughs> By the time they maybe say, yeah, maybe we should ban short selling on regional right. banks, another one could potentially fail. And I still believe, we, I think we talked about this a week or maybe a month or two ago when this all started, that I do believe we're on a trend to have fewer banks. Yep. And this is how it's going to happen, unfortunately, to where the banks get in trouble, uh, stock goes down, and they become a great buy, and the bigger banks buy them up. And and we have still, I think, over 4,000 banks here in the U.S. I think it's Europe has, I think, 10. I think I saw Ireland has, like, just three now. Three. I was reading something on Bank of Ireland, and, yeah, there was, like, five, and now there's three. And they're, they're consolidating. Right. <laughs> Again, t- Ireland's obviously smaller than... Yeah. Europe or the U.S., but for one country to have just yeah. like three banks. And you've brought up, too, that, I mean, we're for bank regulation. I mean, yeah. these are the banks we want them to be regulated so they can't do crazy things. And if you only have, I don't see us being down to 10 banks here in the country, let's say we get down to 1,000. Um, you know, that would be, let's just went off. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> I guess we weren't moving enough. Um, but but that would be probably a, a, a big change. And it's not going to happen in six months. It's going to be over time. So, and I think we're in the, be- the beginning of that. Yeah. So, uh, let me open the phone lines because we're taking calls here in, in a few minutes. Uh, you got the, a question about investing, the economy, uh, maybe on an equity that you hold, like buying or selling. Uh, phone lines going to open those 833 288 Again, that's 833-288-0973. And that, as always, gets you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, firm opinion about what you want to talk about. Let's talk about consumer credit because you may hear how terrifying it is that revolving consumer credit outstanding is at record high. And recently in February, it was $1.2 trillion. Wow, that's a lot of money. What you don't hear, though, is how that number relates as a percentage of disposable income. In fact, in the chart that we actually have, we can't show it on radio, but we have, uh, you'll see revolving consumer credit outstanding as a percent of personal income was just 6.2% in February and is actually still below pre-COVID levels. It's so important to actually understand that when the price of assets and incomes rise, well, so will costs and debt levels. It's just how the economy is going to work. Now, the absolute level is not nearly as important as the relationship that the numbers have. Again, if you have a house, let's say, that's worth, I'm going to say, $2 million, well, yeah, your mortgage is going to have to be higher than when you bought houses back in the 80s for $100,000. It's just naturally going to happen. And it's the same thing with working. If your income's going up, well, that means now businesses can now charge more for selling their goods and Mm -hmm. services. Well, so, yeah, now goods and services are going to go up. I mean, that is inflation. And people a lot of times get this wrong, is there is healthy inflation. You don't want to see costs falling down and you don't want to see everything falling because that would actually be harmful to the economy as well. Healthy inflation, again, that Fed target is 2%. You still want to see growth over time. And the debt relationship between that is so important to understand because we always say a number means nothing at all. Unless you have something to compare it to. And I think this is why, you know, people say, oh, I'll just do the investment myself because, you know, I, I don't need to pay a management fee. Um, but they don't spend the time to understand deeply what's going on. And you can't. And I've seen people do well for sometimes a few years just by kind of, oh, I'll just. And right now, I think some people that are in technology probably doing pretty well, but they don't know what's going to happen. And, and investing is not a few year game. It is a lifetime game. 
uh, hopefully that you and it's a lifetime game that you don't lose all your money when you're 65. <laughs> you know, then then you had a problem because you did things wrong. But it's a lifetime game that you have to understand what's going on. And we spend, uh, you know, I, I was listening to one of our conference calls from a company that we own. And it's like, hey, that kind of sounds like me. The guy says that he loves getting up on Saturday morning. He reads the Financial Times. And he goes, I like the old paper. I don't want to read online. I like the old paper. And he goes, that's how I spend my Saturday is reading what's going on. That's what I do. I mean, I, I come here to the radio show, love doing the radio show, go in the office, make client phone calls for a few hours. Then I go home and I read Barron's. I read the Wall Street Journal. I read things. And it's not like, oh, I got to do it. I love doing it. And and there's other things that people do that they would that I would hate doing what they're doing. Yeah. And that's why I think, I'll never forget this on uh, Two and a Half Men years ago, Charlie Sheen, just call the guy. Call the guy that's the expert on it because everybody has things they're expert on. I don't work on my own cars. I don't, you know, fix things in the house. Um, I call the guy that knows what's going on because I know finance. I love doing it. And, and I saw our landscaper. Uh, he goes, I barely take vacations because I work like seven days a week, but I love being outside. I love, you know, creating this beautiful landscape you have and so forth. I mean, that's what he loves doing. And that's why different jobs do different things. And that's why I think, you know, most people need a money manager that's a good manager, not just somebody's some product. Yeah, and, and again, understanding why things aren't doing well is so important because right now, I'll tell you flat out, we're underperforming the S&P 500. I have no issue saying that on air. But the reason is, as you said, we have financials. Well, if you look at the market, and they did a study yesterday, was that AI, this AI boom, right, kind of led to the market being up about 8%, the S&P 500. If you remove those AI companies, the market's actually down about 2 to 3%. Right. And there's this hype that has carried these tech companies. We talked about this last week, about the weighting of tech is so high. Well, again, all of a sudden, if this AI stuff fizzles out... And a lot of the excitement's kind of been carried forward here on AI. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, actually, it's not panning out the way we thought it was. Now those stocks fall. Financials recover. Now, all of a sudden, our portfolio is outperforming the market again because we didn't have anything in AI. And we had what was actually beaten up and is now recovering. And I'll tell you, it is frustrating as heck oh, yeah. when we go through these periods. And it's just like, oh, just buy AI. It just goes up every day. <laughs> and it's like, oh, don't buy banks. They go down every day. <laughs> But at some point, that'll turn, and we know that we're getting good dividends from our companies. Nine out of ten companies, I should say, in our portfolio pay a dividend, essentially around that number. But the thing is, we're getting those dividends, and we know the value of our businesses are extremely undervalued. So that's why we're not looking at underperformance year-to-date. We're looking at where will these businesses be two to three years from now. Right, and and it's so important to understand what you're doing uh, not panic over things that you're you're seeing currently, and it, and it is funny because we can tell when we're underperforming the S and P five hundred, but I believe we never say when we're overperforming because we don't want to talk about performance. But yeah. to to give people not to brag or or say to to let you know that when you're investing, you're not always going to be doing great, but we we don't care that oh here it is what may oh we're underperforming the S and P five hundred. I don't care. I care where will be the end of the year. I care where will be next year and so forth. And that's why when we're investing, we're looking at where will something be two, three years down the road, not two or three days down the road. And the, the biggest thing that people mess up is that they don't know why they've done well. They don't know why they're underperforming. We can tell you exactly why that's happening. Right. And and that's important because when I make these Saturday calls with, with, with my clients and so forth, we talk about what is going on. Um, and 
it's important to know that, well, things are down. This was the old broker thing. Just hold it, and it'll go back up. Maybe it didn't. didn't work in the tech boom and bust. You have to understand why you're down, and will it come back? And we had some companies that just did great earnings, and the stock went down. And I think those earnings were better than a lot of the tech companies that came out, and they went up. That's the craziness of the market. They didn't mention AI. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should have had uh, – well, we won't go there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Phone number is 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Ted. Ted, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Well, good morning, guys. Um, what does the numbers tell us about uh, Vertex Pharmaceuticals? Their symbol is VRTX. Okay. Uh, Ted, do you hold that or look at buying it? Looking to buy. All right. Well, let's take a look at the Vertex Pharmaceuticals. Their symbol is VRTX. I see it in the biotechnology industry. Uh, not much float, 1.3%. 96% institutional owned. Uh, the P.E. ratio is high at 27.7, but the industry has no P.E. ratio. That's a positive, and I think, in a high P.E. ratio industry. We do see price of sales are expensive, 9.8 versus 8.9. Price of tangible book, book value, 7 versus 266. That's a positive. Price of cash flow is 22.1 versus not material. And then the peg, uh, the peg ratio going forward, which is your price earnings divided by growth, you want this number low, 2.8 industry does not have a peg ratio. Now, their earnings over the last year were up 32%. The industry was down 55%, so that's a big positive. Sales climbed by a 15.9%. Industry only saw growth of 11.9%. We also see for Veritas uh, Pharmaceuticals that they had um, a five-year estimated growth from the uh, analysts of 8.2%. That's very good because the industry shows a negative. 6.2. 6.2. Let's take a look at the balance sheet. We've got a good current ratio here, 4.3. Industry, 5.4. Debt equity, 0.1 versus 0.4. Uh, net profit margin, 35.4 versus a negative 7.5. And return equity is 22.6 versus 44.4. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, so current price here for Vertex Pharmaceuticals was $347.41. 52-week high, $354.46. And the low, $240.25. I see year-to-date, the stock's up 20.3%. And wow, over the last year, as you kind of have a time period, the stock's up 44.2%. So I wonder if this company had like a drug hit or, or something, something, get FDA approval. I mean, because uh, that's a pretty good increase over the last one year. But go forward, though, to December 2024, I see estimated earnings per share of $16.03. Would give us a target sell price of $266.10. So it, it's... It's a little pricey here, and I mean, I do see earnings now are, they were estimated to be down this year, but it estimated to kind of accelerate at about a 10% rate over the next couple of years. So I'm guessing they had a drug get approval, and now that may be coming in to help with revenue, but it's it's something that we'd still stay away from, especially after the climb. It's, it's just expensive. Yeah, and Ted, I think your timing, I think you got a good company, but I think your timing might be a little bit off because it been nice to get this probably... We don't have a chart in front of us. I'll say six months ago, and it's probably lower. What could happen now is that the stock could continue to rise, or there could be a pullback, that the hot news is out, nothing else happens, the earnings will stay about where they're at, that it pulls back, and then you can buy it on sale. I, I just don't like to buy things at the full price. I'm buy it on sale. I think it's got great fundamentals to it. It's got some good things. I would understand also, too, did they have a big drug come out? What is that drug? Because we've seen other companies come out with drugs, and they get this big pop, and then they fall down below where they were before. So I think it's worth looking at it, but I, I would not buy at this price. All righty? 
Thank you. That sounds good. Okay, Ted, thanks for calling you. Have a good one. Thank you. Same to you guys. All right. Bye-bye. That is open the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go to Poway and speak with Robert. Robert, you're on the Smart Invest Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Gentlemen, good morning. Good morning. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Good. I uh, calling in about uh, what's going on with the banks. I was one of those clients with Republic and uh, making the move over to one of the bigger banks right now. Wanted to see between either Chase or Wells Fargo, which would you prefer if I were to buy a stock? Well, that's a um, kind of a difficult question. Um, I, I thought you were going to say which one you put your money in. Either one is the same, <laughs> so that, that, that's okay. Right. Um, but the, the the stock, I mean, we we, we can look at either one. And, and, I, and I guess I'm going to – I'm not trying to give you investment advice. I have to be careful of doing that. We can look at the fundamentals, but I don't see – Jason kind of looked at me like, what are you going to say, Dad? Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I can give you pros and cons for each, I guess, is the thing. So, I mean, when I, when I look at, like, Chase, they're going to be a little bit more expensive on the valuations, but they have a, a much cleaner balance sheet. I mean, they always talk right. about their Fortress balance sheet. I think it's a, I'm going to say, for the most part, almost a safer play. It's maybe doesn't have as much upside potential, but also not as much downside. And I think it's a great business as well. Where the Wells Fargo, they still have the asset cap in place that the Fed had implemented years ago. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised maybe they right, haven't right. looked at removing that, especially during this time period, Yeah, to actually allow for them to kind of grow and absorb some of these potential moves from the, the smaller banks. But that is something that if that gets lifted, that's kind of why their earnings and their book value is a little bit lower on the valuation measures compared to J.P. Morgan Chase. So I think there's a little more upside potential, but I, I will say I think J.P. Morgan Chase is a, a better run company. I think it is a better bank. I think it's a better business, but that's reflected in the valuations there. I mean, to be frank, I, I, I like both banks. Yeah, I, I think yeah. they, they both look pretty good. But And I do agree with you, Chase, because I, I – I... Someday the government's going to remove those restrictions they have on Wells Fargo, and I believe when they do that, the the company, the stock will have a nice bump because they'll be open for full business again. Yeah. So both are good good investments. Uh, both are strong, uh, but I think stock wise, investment wise, I think over the, the the near future, we'll call it near future for me, is one or two years. I think you could see better returns in a Wells Fargo than the safety of a J.P. Morgan Chase. Not to say J.P. Morgan Chase isn't going to do bad. But if they if the government lifts that, and actually a year or two, we could have a new administration because it's next year the twenty four is when the yeah. election is. Yeah, so we could have a new administration may go a whole different direction. So uh, even well, so, on top of that, what about uh, Mister Diamond retiring here in the next year or two? You know, I've not heard anything about him retiring. I mean, someday he will. I think he's in his mid sixties, I believe. I think it's somewhere around there. 69. 69. Okay. Looks good for 69. Yeah, yeah. And that could be a situation because he, he doesn't have that I know of, and maybe it's just under wraps, anybody that to, to is going to step into his shoes. But uh, it is a concern. You know, we, We've talked about it because he, he is a strong banking leader. Uh, will somebody else come in and be able to fill his big shoes? We'll, we'll see. And I wouldn't be surprised either if he stepped down as CEO but remained as chairman because I think he can obviously provide a lot of great guidance to right. how the bank is run. And I know there's, uh, like, Marianne Lake is a, a great 
executive there. And I think, uh, gosh, I think it's Daniel Pinto might be his name, but he's another kind of heavily relied upon executive there. And so I think he's kind of knows at some point he'll retire, but I think there's some great people that he's kind of grooming for overtime to kind of ease them into that transition, which why I think him stepping down as CEO, and I don't think he'll maybe do it in the next year, maybe not even the next two years, but I think there'll be transition perhaps where he is chairman, just not CEO. And I think he really likes it. I think he likes his job. Like I'll, I like my job, Warren Buffett, who's over 90 now, right? I think Charlie Munger is like 99. 99. I think Buffett's like 94. 94. <laughs> so I, I, I can kind of see Jamie Dimon doing that. He, he's still going to be involved, but maybe not so much where he goes in the office and works, you know, $100 a week. Um, so he'll still be in control. So that that's what we see because there's just nothing coming out. We now know Buffett 94. 92. 92. Buffett at 92 does have some gentlemen that are now kind of running things. He calls them their, his lieutenants. Uh, but he's still... He still controls things. And Munger is 99. What is his birthday to say? I think he's January 1st is actually his birthday. So he'll be 100 next year. Yeah. <laughs> and, and what's amazing with those two guys that, you know, uh, I think their their shareholder meeting went for like five hours. Oh. You know, I mean, you think like, wow, that that's, we do our client event for about uh, about an hour and a half, two hours. We're pretty tired. Uh, five hours. That's a long time. I, I just kind of hear some fun facts. Charlie Munger was born January 1st, 1924. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he has nine kids. So, so Robert, I, wow. I, I I hope that uh you know gives you some thing because to to look at the, the numbers of both companies, if we can't do them side by side, it would take too long to do one, then do the other. Uh, but I hope we guided you in, in a direction, uh give you some some guidance there. Appreciate it, gentlemen. Happy Saturday. Go Titans. Oh, there you go. Go Titans. Go Titans. And uh, don't forget tomorrow's Mother's Day. We didn't say that for all the guys <laughs> out there. Remember Mother's Day tomorrow. Yeah, don't don't forget, guys. <laughs> all right, Robert. Have a good one. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That does open up the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. I, I, I don't know if you heard what I said. Charlie Munger has nine kids. Oh, no, I didn't hear the nine kids. Yeah, I snuck that in there when I was talking about the fun facts. Two are stepkids, it says, so he has seven biological kids and two stepkids. Maybe that's why he's still around and kicking, you know, the kids keep you young. Well, if he's 99, he's in their 70s. 70s. Yeah. He must have great, great grandchildren. I mean, I mean right, probably. Right, right. Yeah. So, but he, he's still quite the character. He, he He's not very active, but he just comes out with these things that... Most people probably wouldn't say, but he goes, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say it. I got a few years left. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Bitcoin is, is what do you call it, rat food or something. Rat poison. Rat poison, yeah. So. All right. Uh, time to talk to our, our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Uh, going to talk about student loans. I got to hear what he has to say on this. Uh, Harrison, you with us? Yes, I am. How's it going, guys? Good, good. Just having some fun here on a Saturday morning talking about uh, different things here. And, and you're going to enlighten us about student loans. So what do you got? Student loans. So right now, uh, federal student loans are still on pause until June 30th, which means payments would start 60 days after that, um, around the end of August. Applies to all federal loans, not private loans, um, and the pause includes interest, so nothing is accruing right now. Also, the student loan forgiveness of 10 to 20 thousand dollars is still up in the air, so we'll see how that goes. But the main point I wanted to talk about is how the overall student loan process works. Um, so usually. You start with the direct federal student loans, as these have the lowest interest rates. Right now, it's around 5%. Um, and with these, you have subsidized and unsubsidized. 
And in both cases, you don't need to make payments while you are in school, but subsidized loans do not accrue interest while you're in school. The unsubsidized loans do accrue interest while you're in school. So clearly the subsidized loans are better, but you can only get them if you're considered to have financial need after filling out the FAFSA. So uh, many don't qualify if their parents are considered to have or make too much money. And there's a limit of how much of these loans you can get. For a full four years of going to school, you can get up to $27,000 of loans, of which 19000 can be subsidized loans, which, again, maybe many don't qualify for that subsidized portion, so they all be unsubsidized. Um, if you need additional student loans, you can look to either Parent PLUS loans or private student loans, all of which have higher interest rates that also will accrue while the student is in school. These loans, you don't have to make payments while you're in school, but that interest still does accrue, uh, which means those balances are getting larger. I think a lot of students don't understand that um, when they're taking them. So if you look at the cost of a university like SDSU, Right now, the cost per year is like 35 grand when you add in the room and board and books and all that type of stuff. And there's definitely more expensive schools out there. So if a student has to borrow all that for four years, plus have that interest accrue while they're in school, they could be looking at graduating with 160 grand of student loans just for a normal four-year under undergraduate degree. Um, and at that point, you might be able to refinance to a lower rate, but you're still looking at $1,200, $1,300 per month payment for 15 years to get that paid off. Um, to put that into perspective, if instead you were able to put that money into your 401k, including the tax deduction, after that 15 years, you'd have over $600,000 in that 401k. So I think the point is, College is extremely expensive and should be looked at like an investment. Um, the, the reason that you should go to college is to increase your earning potential. Um, so you either need to, to plan ahead of time so you don't have to finance the entire thing with student loans. That includes parents planning. Um, and you need to also make sure that if you're getting a degree, you're getting something that's going to be able to, to make money. Um, or you know consider starting at a junior college getting the prereqs out of the way, and then transferring to a university. Um, I also don't think everyone needs to always go to college, not at these prices. Um, there's trade schools out there that are much cheaper and much quicker and still result in a higher career income. Um, but, you know, we've got this national crisis of student loans, and, I mean, you, you really need to break down the numbers because I think 20 years ago you could go to school and kind of find yourself and figure out what you want to do but it was a whole lot cheaper to do that then. And doing that now, especially, um, you know, if, if you have to use student loans, that kind of adds that payment that sets you back for a long time while you're in your earning career. And I, and I will say too, I mean, you did that, that study essentially of if you made those interest payments for 15 years and saved it in the 401k, it would have gotten, grown to 600,000 versus just paying off a hundred, $60,000 worth of debt. Also, you, you didn't put in the study. You didn't go to college. You started in a trade school, let's say, and then you had four <laughs> years of actually saving money and investing. So, I mean, yeah. it'd be even more 
even more beneficial. More beneficial. And I, again, I'm not saying that everybody needs to go to trade schools, but I, I think you make a great point that it, it needs to be looked at more as an investment at this point. What are you going to do with that degree to produce the income to pay for the, those student loans? Because it, it's so expensive. Yeah. 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 And I, I think one of the things that really stands out to me as well is, you know, you might need $35,000 a year to go to school. But only a, a really small portion of that could potentially be subsidized, maybe even none of it at all. So while you're in school, anything that you borrow, those interest rates are, are still accruing, even if you're not making payments on it. So you might borrow 100 grand, but by the time you get out of school, it's 130 grand. So it's, you know, when, when you add the fact that, well, you know, I'm going to stay another year. Well, that's another year of interest accruing that's just, you know, making it more difficult to get out of that hole. And I know we talked about this yesterday a little bit when you and I were talking about what you're going to talk about on the show today, <laughs> is it's it's really scary for some people because, again, people we know have very selective hearing is they hear, oh, I don't have to make payments while I'm in school. They don't hear that the loan's accruing, right, and now that interest rates have gone back up, they're going to accrue at yeah. a much higher rate, which means you're going to have to pay back a lot more money. Right. And, and one big yeah, tip yeah. I've always had for, for parents – uh, and kids don't like it many times, but I have four kids. Three of my four kids did go to junior college first, and that saves you two years of building up these big debts. And when you graduate, you still get the degree from the SDSU or whoever it is, but you went to Miramar College. You went to a junior college first, got your, your basic credits out of the way, did that for two years. Then you don't have to borrow all that money. You can, And maybe during that time frame, I'm sorry, you know, both my well, my my stepkid, well, I'll be my stepkid when I get married, uh, and all my kids. Unless you're in sports, you worked. So if you're working, you're putting money away at, at the same time. So it's a, a positive uh, to go to the junior college. And I know it's not as nice when you're in high school, like oh, I'm going to Miramar College. Oh, I'm going to LSU or something. Well, yeah, somebody's going to spend a lot of money. It's not as prestigious. But down the road, you'll be way ahead of that person because of what you did. Well, if you work while you're in school, too, you wouldn't need to borrow the 35000 yeah. Essentially, you can help cut yeah. that in maybe half or whatever it may be. But it's yeah. you know, something it's, to consider. It saves everybody money, and there's no change you know, four years down the road because you still get that degree without four-year school. Yep. So just a tip for people. I always try to put that out because uh, – and it's funny. Some successful I've talked to because that's what I did. I got to, went to junior college. Some other people I've talked to, they did the same thing, but their kids want to go to a four-year school. And I go, well, you turned out successful. I know. (laughs) (laughs) There's ways to get around it, save money, because everybody wins. So, Well, Harrison, thank you very much. Some good tips there. Thank you. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. We'll see you Monday. All righty. Gosh, we we had, I think his name was Costa. I saw him there, and he just hung up probably, I think, about a minute ago. Didn't know what he wanted to talk about. But uh, if you're still listening... Actually, he or anybody can give us a call at uh, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And, again, that's for your investment questions. Even comments on, you know, I thought somebody I, I saw there, we couldn't get to him, had questions on or, or comments about the big banks and stuff like that. So, I mean, that's what we're, we're here for, to kind of answer your questions for you. Also, too, if you're looking at buying or selling a, a company, we call them a company, you call them a stock, we call them an equity, uh, we can do that for you by running the fundamentals and try to point in the right direction. Uh, because I think we, you know, when we say something like, yeah, it's probably worth the research, it's probably pretty good. But we say, uh, no, not not really worth your time. I mean, it's a high gamble. Yeah, it's definitely a high gamble. And, you know, I was just sitting here thinking, I 
when we were talking earlier about consumer credit, I forgot to tell people, if you want to see that chart we were talking about that shows you the amount of revolving credit versus what the revolving credit is versus disposable income, we actually do have that chart on our website. Just go to smartinvesting2000.com. You can click on our newsletter section. It was our most recent newsletter. You can then actually click on that and see the chart because it shows you long term and it's like, oh. It's really not bad at all. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do some office talk here so uh, people don't listen right now. Did, did we put that chart in the newsletter? It It, it is in the newsletter. It is in the newsletter. Okay, yeah. good. Because I, I did not promote the, the newsletter mm-hmm. today, so let's promote it now. Because the newsletter, again, you have many different topics on there like that. Uh, we talked about the ETFs. We talked about the tech companies. Uh, we talk about uh, Beyond Me, Peloton. It is a free newsletter. It goes out every uh, Friday about 5 o'clock. All you got to do is go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That, again, is smartinvesting2000.com. You'll see it right in the middle. It says podcast, newsletter. Click on there. Sign up for it. You'll get a free newsletter. It goes out every Friday. A lot of great information there for you. All right. Well, I I see that uh, Costa is back. So let's go out to Costa in San Diego. Good morning, Costa. You're on the Smart Invest Show with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, guys. How you doing? Good. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. I'm about to go out for a surf, but um, I was just hearing the we were talking. You guys were talking about student loans a little bit ago, and it kind of made me think about SoFi Technologies, and I like I really like that stock a lot. And I was just wondering, I think who was just last talking said that that should end June 30th, if I'm correct. Yes. Right. What What do you guys think about SoFi and the future for them? If that actually does now really end on June 30th. Well, well, let's look at some numbers here and kind of talk about the the company. Again, SoFi Techs, I guess the company symbol is S-O-F-I. They're in the credit services. They do have a high percent of, of shorts on there, 12.3%, which is not good. Uh, institutional ownership is low at 373 uh, the last reporting period I show here is December 30th. I don't know if they're having trouble getting their their March or the first quarter out, but I'm kind of concerned on that. They reported, yeah, they, no. um, they reported they first quarter. Yeah, you'll you'll see here and on the thing it says last preliminary report, so they haven't filed the full like 10Q10K. Uh, okay. So that's it, what it is. It, yeah. they haven't filed it. Okay, so a little bit uh, short of information, but uh, unfortunately here, uh, no PE ratio versus 21 for the industry, so they have no earnings. Uh, that's not a good thing over the last 12 months. Price of sales does low 2.7 versus four. Price of tangible book, book value, very good, 1.6 versus 61. Uh, they have no cash flow, no pig ratio, uh, no earnings over the last year. Sales, however, look very good, up 40.6%, well above the industry at uh, 16.6. Wow. And the five-year earnings per share growth estimate from the analysts, 178% over the next five years versus 15.1. That's yeah. a that's a big, huge there uh, thing to look at. They don't pay a dividend. Uh, look at the balance sheet. Uh, no current ratio. Debt to equity, 1.0 versus 1.6. Uh, net profit margin, a negative 20.4 versus a, a 19.6 positive. Uh, return to equity, a negative 6.5 versus 44.7. Uh, I got some comments, but I wait until you share with what they got. You share with yeah, so looking at the current price here for SoFi, it's five dollars and two cents. Fifty-two week highs, eight dollars and fifty-two cents. I did look it up back in two thousand twenty-one. It was around twenty-five dollars a share, so it's really been 
crushed over the last couple of years here. But the 52-week low is $4.24. If I go forward for the company, I go out to December 2024. I still see, unfortunately, they're estimated to lose $0.04 cents a share, so we can't really derive a target sell price. Now, I do go out to December 2025. I see they're estimated $0.25, cents, but that's just from one analyst. Right. So I'd be very interested to see... How are they going to get to profitability? Because I, I, I think it's an interesting company. I actually have my, my student loans. I refinance through SoFi. I had a great experience with them. I think they, they do a great job. I mean, it, I, I think it's an interesting business. I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah, and cost of what I look at that it comes down to is that will this company survive? Because they've, they've got a decent balance sheet, but I'm also concerned about competition coming in yeah. because they don't have what we call a moat. Um, I don't like investing in companies. We don't break our discipline. They have to have enough in earnings, which they just don't have that coming out. So this is one of those stories. It's a high-risk company. I like the concept. I like what they, they have going forward, but I would be concerned that they can't stay in the game. And if they're out of the game, somebody else can come buy them for pennies on the dollars, and you pay, what is that, $5 a share now. Uh, down the road, it could be worth a dollar, and somebody else picks it up, and you, you lost your money. That happened to me on its first investing years ago. I, I had a similar story like this, like, oh, wow, this is going to be great. The growth was great. It didn't survive, and I think I lost like 80% on the investment because uh, it went down. So yeah. very, very risky, I'll put it that way. And a couple of risks to consider is – I, I would, number one, want to know how this necessarily works because, you know, generally your big banks, they, they take in deposits and they take those deposits and lend them out. How are they implementing loans? I don't think you can go open a deposit account so far. I might be wrong, but if that is the case, how are they getting enough deposits to then lend that out? So I'd, I'd want to understand how their balance sheet works a little bit more. The other thing that I was thinking about is many times these student loans, I'm going to say a little higher risk because right. you're essentially getting these kids that graduate from college, maybe they're not established yet, and they're like, oh, I need to refinance. What is their kind of vetting process for getting those? Yeah. What's the default rate? I mean, there's some definite big questions that you would need to have answered for this business, kind of to parlay off what Brent said about making sure that they can survive, because I think there is some potential growth there. It's just, it's very high risk, which we don't like to invest in. Yeah, so Costa, I, I know you're going surfing, so go enjoy the waves there. But when you come back from surfing, you, yeah. got, some, you got some research to do. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I'm pretty pretty in tune on SoFi. Like you said, it's really risky, but I'm only 19, so now's the time to invest in risky stocks for me. Well, um, well, well, that's, well, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, well, do some, but you don't want to lose it because what you'll miss is you'll miss the benefits of long-term compounding because things can't yeah, I got compound that. if they're gone. So if you want to take a flyer once in a while, go ahead and do it, but... But be careful and just do the research to make sure it's worthwhile. I, I, I think this could be a big one, but we gave you our concerns. All righty? Yeah, thank you. All right, you're welcome. Bye-bye. All righty, let's go out to San Diego and speak with Val. Val, you're in the Smart Investor over at Chase. How can we help you? Yes, I am looking at a uh, small Canadian gold company called BTG. BTG. That's- uh, that did B not... as a boy, Thomas George. B to Gold Corp. Is that the one? Yes. Okay, we, I got a different symbol here. So, uh, what is the symbol? B T G. Oh, B T G. Okay, all right. Uh, B to Gold. All right, let, let's see if we got anything there for you, uh, Val. Let's see here. Um, and we don't have a lot of time. Eh, we got a few minutes. No, we, got, got, we got time. We got, we got time. Okay. Uh, if my Let's see what we got. Okay, BTG uh, in the gold industry. Uh, no short on the on the float side there. Uh, again, the company is B, B2 Gold, similar as BTG. 
uh, 58% institutional owned. Uh, not a bad P.E. ratio, 17.1 versus 40.6. Price to sales, 2.5 versus 2.8. Price to tangible book value, very good, 1.8 versus 7.6. Price to cash flow looking good as well, 7.4 versus 11.7. And even the pig ratio looks very good, 0.7 versus 100.4. Now, unfortunately, the earnings for uh, B2 Gold is actually down 38% over the last year. The industry is only down 14.7. Sales were down 1.9 versus 1.2. The five-year estimated growth from the analyst is 20% for B2 Gold versus 0.9% for the industry. They do pay a decent dividend, 3.9%, using 67% in their earnings to pay that out. Look at the balance sheet, uh, pretty strong. Current ratio, 4.4 versus 5.8, and no debt. That's a positive. And then we do see net profit margin 14.6, double the industry at 7.5. Return on equity is not as good as I would like it to, to be, 8.4 versus 7.2. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, so current price, again, for B2 Gold, BTG, is that ticker symbol? $4.11. 52-week highs, $4.40. And, wow, 52-week low here, $2.81. I see year-to-date stock is up 16.5%. Not really surprised considering gold has uh, done pretty well to start the year. But uh, market cap, decent-sized company here. I, I've never heard of it, but $5.2, $5.3 billion market yeah. cap, so it is decent size. If we go forward to December 2024, though, I do see estimated earnings per share of $0.30. Cents. It would give us a target sell price of $4.98, so the stock trades around uh, about 13.9, 14 times future earnings there. So it, it's getting kind of close to the target sell price, but it looks like there's still a little bit more value left in it. With that being said, obviously it is a gold company, though. Yep. So I think gold's done quite well. I don't know if gold will kind of continue on this journey, and I think the stock is going to trade pretty similarly to gold. So if gold goes down, that's not going to be good for this yeah. stock. So got to understand that relationship between the, the commodity and, and the miner, obviously. Yep. So, Val, the numbers look good on it, but you got to realize that if gold goes down in price, eh, even though we're good numbers, it probably happen. I, I, I've done that, doing this for 40 years. I've seen that happen. Generally, like to stay away from these companies, even though I, I, I just, I just don't see gold going up much more. Um, yeah. I think it's done pretty well, but we just talked about earlier in the show the CPI, PPI, it's cooling down. Gold supposedly an inflation hedge, maybe don't need it. So numbers look good. So it's up to you what you think on gold. All right, Val. What do you think of the idea of going away in May and returning in November as a general cyclical pattern? That sounds good. It's got a nice saying to it, <laughs> but it, it just doesn't work. And it, because it depends on what you're investing in. And I remember, you know, there, there's years that it probably does work. Yeah. Uh, but there's years that I just blew away that, that thing based on what I was investing in. So it's got a nice rhyme to it, but I don't go for those, you know, rhyming things. And especially if, again, the debt ceiling is fixed, yeah. interest rates stop hiking. I mean, you, you could see some companies do very well if the uncertainty is cleared. And I think by November, I think we'll have that uncertainty cleared before then. So, I mean, yeah. you, you could miss some great opportunities, especially this year. Right. And and that adage comes from traders going on vacation, therefore they're not there. And that's, that's why it goes down. But I think, as Jay said, I mean, if there's no other problems after we get through this debt ceiling, which we will, uh, and the Fed stops raising rates, I think you could see a good summer market this year. So, all right. Okay, thank you, gentlemen. You're welcome. You have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. Well, gosh, I looked over. The show just goes by so quick. I mean, there's so many things that uh, I, I just love talking about. Oh, there's a closing bell. Gosh, no time at all to chat. So, well, thank you for listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. 
If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Don't forget to sign up for that uh, newsletter there. It's free. Great information. Thanks for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back right here on the Smart Investing Show. So amusing to think that I did all that.